0: Hey, this is Alia Ballas, and I am a victim of the 2020 lockdown. All joking aside, I just want to hang, and I've heard a lot of people saying the same, and sometimes with people who I don't even know. And as we've come to realize, that is not okay during a pandemic. Even though we can't meet in person, doesn't mean we can't get outside of our bubble. This is about learning new things, stepping outside, and all while staying home. Just because we can't hang, there's still can't hang. Happy New Year, everyone. I'm glad to have you back on the ride with me in 2021. This week on Can't Hang, I speak with Shu Matsuo Post, a Japanese man who has recently gotten a couple new titles, father and author. Shu's book, I Took Her Name, was released at the beginning of December and follows his journey through taking his wife's name. Throughout this book, Shu dissects the world through a feminist lens, taking on topics such as workplace inequity, the mask of masculinity, and many more, including men and yoga. I would strongly recommend this book to absolutely everyone. And now it is my pleasure to introduce you to Shu Matsuo Post. Okay, so this is going to be a good one, you guys. Uh, Welcome, Shu.
1: Thank you, Aaliyah. Thanks for having me.
0: I actually just got an email from you this morning with some very exciting news, as if I already didn't know that this was going to be a huge success. It's now kind of confirming my thoughts on the charts. Um, So do you want to share like your good news with us from this morning?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Thank (laughs) thank you again for having me, Alia. Um, So my name is Shu. I am the author of my first book. Uh, It's called I Took Her Name, and I launched it on the 1st of December Um, and uh, during the first week, my publisher just told me that it hit the um, Amazon number one bestseller in two categories and also number one in uh, as um, hot new releases in two categories as well. So there was a lot to celebrate and um, yeah, I'm really excited that people are enjoying my book.
0: I wish I was finished it, but I'm about a partway through, so I'm already really enjoying it. And obviously, this is something I'm super interested in as, I don't know, a self-proclaimed feminist and I guess a woman in general. I think it's so interesting. So we'll get right into it. So we'll kind of go through your story and we'll start from the beginning, as I like to do. So how did your growing up kind of shape your understanding of the world? So you grew up in Japan, um, for those who aren't familiar, and... Uh, I am not familiar with Japanese culture very much. Like I I don't have a good understanding of it. Um, So can you kind of speak to how this kind of shaped your understanding of the world?
1: Yeah. So I, like you said, I grew up, I was born and raised in Japan um, until I was 15. And I actually moved to the U.S., uh, California for high school. And I went to college in California as well. So, and then worked in New York for a little bit. So I got to, I spent... A majority of my adolescence in the U S and then after that, um, I went back to Japan as a young professional and, you know, I didn't really know who I was cause you know, I, I was in Japan and I was in the U S and then came back to Japan and I definitely experienced this reverse culture shock and I wanted to get out of Japan again. And I moved to Hong Kong, uh, for, with, the employer at the time. And I actually ended up living and working there for about five years before coming back to Japan again, um, three years ago. So going back to your original question, Japan is a very homogenous country. And I grew up in this small um, about an hour and a half away from Tokyo. So diversity didn't really exist uh, for me growing up. Everyone looked like me, uh, thought the same, uh, did the same things and learned the same material, um, at school. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I didn't know about feminism or like what gender equality is, or uh, I didn't even know that there was a gender gap. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. my, my parents, whom I love dearly, and they're super open-minded. Um, my mom ended up taking my dad's name and uh, so did most of my, all, all my friends' parents. Um, so I thought, you know, oh, you know, if you're a woman, you're supposed to take uh, the man's name after they get married. So I thought growing mm-hmm. up, um, if I, when I got married, I thought my spouse would take my last name and I didn't think twice about it. So, mm-hmm. you know, moving to the U.S. and actually in Hong Kong, is, Hong Kong is a very diverse city as well. Um, I got to meet mm-hmm. a lot of people. I was technically a minority by nationality uh, in Hong Kong as well. And in, in the U.S., obviously, uh, by race and nationality. So I got to connect with a lot of people from different back, backgrounds. And I, you know, I, for, for the first time in my life, I, I understood what it's like to be a minority. Um, mm-hmm. so that was kind of like the beginning of my journey to like finding my identity and, um, equality, I guess, of promoting equality. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: but yeah, that's, uh, that was my upbringing. I hope that. Oh.
0: Yeah. I find that so interesting because I feel like you're at this point in your life, like from reading your book, like you and I have a lot of the same thoughts and thought process and and stuff like that, but, um, I think your upbringing couldn't be more different than mine because obviously growing up in Canada, I'm not sure if you visited Canada before, but I would consider where I grew up in the GTA, greater Toronto area, very diverse. And, and I don't know, I think we call it the cultural mosaic in Canada. So there's a lot of minorities and, and obviously it can always be better, but I grew up with a lot of people that didn't look like me and. Second to that, I grew up with a mom who didn't change her Mm -hmm. name. So I just didn't think anything of it. I was like, nope, like my mom's Jill Gorey and my dad's Stephen Ballas. And like that, like that's it. Like didn't really think anything Mm -hmm. of it. And I knew that that was like, I don't want to say weird. Like that's not the word I'm thinking of, but I knew that was like different in terms of our kind of friend group and our friends and family. Like a lot of the moms had... The husband's name so they kind of like i knew that it was like sort of different but i never thought like oh we need to have the same last name or like i wonder why she did that it was just because it just seemed so second nature to Mm me um so i find it interesting that um how people just grow up in different ways but kind of arrive at a similar destination like ideologically later Mm -hmm. on
1: (laughs) yeah totally and uh And then it's when you meet with people uh, like you and like, you know, with different backgrounds, that's when you start to kind of question or not question, but like ask yourself some questions like, oh, okay, well, it doesn't have to be this way. This is the only way I know, but it really doesn't have to be this way because, you know, this person is doing it this way. And that's, I guess, how I learned more about um, diversity.
0: Mm -hmm, absolutely so uh in term you kind of mentioned that it's kind of like homogenous in japan so uh you kind of touch on this in your book a bit so i want to bring it up in like the rigidity of japanese culture and these social expectations that they have for you and kind of this idea of like the foreigner card so um either more understanding if you're a foreigner that that you won't conform to their (laughs) i don't know like (laughs) lifestyle or whatever it may be um than if you are from there like you're supposed to be a certain way if you're from there but like you maybe get like a little more lax approach if you're not can you kind of speak to that idea because that's something as I mentioned in Canada I'm I'm honestly not super familiar with um because of the push towards like individuality
1: yeah yeah so that's uh I, I would say that's the biggest difference between the uh, collective culture uh, where most Asian mm-hmm. countries are and the individualistic culture uh, where, you know, Canada and North America. And I think most of Europe are that way. And so mm-hmm. collective culture, it's like, you, you know, we, we want to be. Collective, right? We want to behave in harmony is more important than individuality. So, you know, to give you an example, we had uh, uniforms for uh, middle school. Actually, middle school, I had so oh. <laughs> everyone like literally looked the same. We couldn't dye our hair or you know do anything to yeah oh, wow. and stuff like that because we needed to look the same. And there was um, there was no why behind it. Like there are so many rules. Um, like you gotta Mm -hmm. be this way. You can't do this. You can't do this. And I, I just remember not learning much about the why behind it. So we just follow the rules. Um, and then that existed outside of schools as well um, I'll give you an, an, another example so on the, mm-hmm. the, the train system is great in in all over Japan and you know you take the train to pretty much everywhere and uh, so you okay. spend a lot of time being on the train but it's considered mm-hmm. very rude to be uh, to be talking on the phone on the train um, oh. and then people kind of stare at you like why are you talking on the phone that's rude right <laughs> But I, like, I remember being in Hong Kong, everyone was talking on the phone and that was so accepted, uh, supernatural. And I was like, huh, mm-hmm. why Why is it, you know, um, not acceptable in, in Japan? But the interesting thing is if you're a foreigner, mm-hmm. so we call we call foreigners gaijin, um, mm-hmm. you can kind of get away with it. You can be on the phone and talk um, on, on your phone in a different language than Japanese and people won't question you because you're not, you don't have the same expectations as the Japanese nationals. So, I thought that was pretty interesting growing up. And, you know, when I came back to Japan for the first time after living in the U.S. for eight, nine years, I felt that I was not completely Japanese in a sense um, because I had been away from some time. And but I looked Japanese. I speak the language. So I still had to conform to the the cultural norms, which I found very challenging, especially you know in the beginning of me coming back to my home country. So that's that's what it's like, you know. Growing I'm up. sure <laughs>
0: moving to California must have been a real culture shock then, because man, that's a whole different that's a whole different thing than even other places in the United States. Like that is just something else in terms of um, individuality speaking. I feel like everyone is really hustlers in California I guess depending where you are um but I think there's looping back to kind of the difference between um like Asian culture and North American culture and kind of European I'll loop that in too is that I think there could be benefits from both you know like sometimes the hyper individuality of North America is like very very tough on people because you know there's not as much like collectivity there's not as much like support for other people there's not as much like community aspect as there could be uh somewhere else but obviously there's there's downfalls and and benefits to both so i think that's obviously um something to keep in mind uh of course
1: 100 I, I i like the mixture of both you know as mm. individualistic culture and also collective culture there are so many great things about both cultures and i I think it's, uh, it's, it's wise to kind of combine, um, you know, mm-hmm. both cultures. It's, it's not easy to do it, and especially, <laughs> you know, if you're in Asia and trying to uh, promote individualistic culture there, uh, it's, it's not as easy. And same thing, you know, being in North America and trying to do, trying to promote the uh, harmony within, within the culture as well.
0: For sure. Yeah. So, so kind of the basis of your story is your journey through feminism and it's leading you to taking your wife's name. I guess that's kind of, some might say that's the end of the story, but I think that's kind of the middle of the story because of what you kind of developed before and after, uh, in my opinion, anyways. So In this journey, and honestly, when I first kind of heard about your book, um, when I first started reading it, these like societal norms are constantly at work and I am educated at a liberal school in a liberal program in a very progressive way, um, on gender studies and women's studies. I've gone through all of these courses. I know about the all of the things at work. And as like an educated person, I still the first flash in my mind, like knee-jerk re- reaction, is like, wow, your wife must be this like controlling woman and and you must be meek and emasculine. And and then you know, you kind of flip the switch and you're like, mm, nope. Like that, I I know that's not the case. And it doesn't matter regardless if it was, but um, because of these conditions that we find ourselves in, I still find myself drawn to these kind of assumptions. So do you find that a lot of people kind of still think in this way, regardless of their quote unquote, like wokeness uh, about these kind of topics?
1: hundred percent. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's because uh, the word feminism has such a negative uh, stigma to it. Um, most mm-hmm. like including myself, I didn't know what the word truly meant like, Oh, feminists, like mm-hmm. they're man hating. Um, or if you're a man and promoting feminism, like, Oh, that person must be weak or whatever that might be. So I kind of mm-hmm. wanted to distance myself from that, uh, movement. Um, uh, but if you ask me, do you believe in gender equality? I totally would have said yes, 10 years ago, but still like, mm-hmm. you know, it's not the same as feminism. That's just, that's just too much. Um, mm-hmm. but as I got educated, especially by my my wife You know, then my girlfriend at the time when when we first started dating, she's actually a teacher and she teaches um, middle school and high school students about, she's an English teacher, but she also teaches um, language, Mm. gender and language. So this is her expertise. And so I remember when we first started dating, she would uh, just curiously ask me questions about why I do the things that I did. So like trying to pay for most most of the meals because I thought I that's what I had to do as a man you know things like those little things mm-hmm. and it wasn't like yes. she wasn't appreciative like she was very thankful that of my uh generosity but she just mm-hmm. was curious of the why behind the things I was doing and I couldn't answer those questions and that's when I was like For sure. huh where did I get these beliefs from <laughs> and uh, you know that's the around the time when uh Emma Watson gave the, the famous he for she speech. I don't know if you're familiar with that speech.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. for sure. Yeah. Am. yeah, I know a lot of people still <laughs> aren't, which I find surprising, but yeah, I totally am.
1: Yeah, so, you know, she said, you know, if you believe in gender equality, you're a feminist. And I was like, that kind of like uh, summed it up. I'm like, that's so simple. Then if, if that's the case, mm-hmm. I'm a feminist and I'm okay with that. And I started to read more books and talk to, people about this subject. And the the more I found out, I was like, yeah, heck yeah, I I believe in gender equality. I believe in feminism. (laughs) And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, some people during this book writing process and, and also like, even after the book came out, within this this past week i've i've gotten some criticism uh from some people saying hey just because you took your wife's name that doesn't make you quote-unquote woke and you need to check your male privilege and i was like wow okay well you know you can judge a lot about myself uh by this book cover and the title right like i took her name and you know he's talking about feminism because he's uh uh one of very few men who took his wife's name, oh my gosh, she's woke and yes this is statistically i I am one of few men who took their spouse uh, female spouse's name, wife's name and and I did experience something that most men actually don't, and uh, I actually found the experience very liberating and um so that's why I wanted to share my story through this book. So, um, but yeah, there is, um, you know, some criticism out there. It's for sure. Uh, I'm probably going to upset mm-hmm. many people <laughs> with my
0: message. But I, I do. Believe, <laughs> you can't please exactly, everyone.
1: <laughs> I, I do believe that you know to promote gender equality, uh, men need to be on board. Because if only fifty percent mm-hmm. of the population is on board, nothing. Major, it's going to happen. Uh, we have to, like men, really need to be on board, and you know this is not to just uh, empower women. It's actually very beneficial to men as well, and that's what I mm-hmm. truly realized through this uh, journey of mine. So that's why I wanted to share this message with uh, mostly men. I wrote this book for men, so yeah, mm-hmm. hopefully they'll they'll read it and they'll they'll get it. And That's my hope.
0: Yeah. I think it's so good what you're doing because even though there's so much you could do, like people kind of get overwhelmed. like, they're like, Oh, well, it doesn't matter because whatever I do, like, it won't really help. But like, I think it's one of those things, like every small step, like every read it, like read a book, like maybe it'll like change your mind about something or like do something because like, just because you do one thing, it's like, kind of goes both ways. Just because you do one thing doesn't make you like a perfect person. And, and, doing nothing definitely doesn't either so it's kind of just those small acts and I guess sometimes big acts too like taking your wife's name but that can really kind of change other people's perspective but also like you said kind of liberate your own uh own identity and your own mindset
1: yeah totally I think having those like these conversations like that's the very good start Mm -hmm. um if I Mm -hmm. if my Wife um, didn't question me about my decisions. Like this wouldn't have happened probably, and I'm so thankful to that she did it. Did it? You know, at, at mm-hmm. the time I was like, whoa, 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 what's going on? Like, you know, I'm I was trying to defend the male sex by like what I'm doing mm-hmm. is right because I read these dating books and you know these men are mm-hmm. saying like <laughs> this is what men are supposed to do to attract women and blah blah blah. Um, but it was very eye opening and just. Um, yeah. Um, gave me the opportunity to explore other options as, uh, you know, as a man.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I always find it interesting, as I mentioned, my mom didn't change her name. Uh, and I've ha- never once had the inclination to change my name because um, I. this is like my thing that I always say when people, not that they ask, but if it's ever in a conversation about it, I always say it's like, if someone I'm marrying has a name that will sound better than Alia Ballas, like flow better than that, then I'll change it. If not, absolutely not. Like if they have like a cool last name, sure. But like it's gonna be only for clout that I'm gonna change it. Um, so it's not gonna be because of like societal uh, norms or anything. And I think that's actually a very unique thing um, that I think a lot of, especially even though it's like 2020, even though all of these women my age are very progressive in their thoughts, I think that's something that automatically a lot of them are like yep of course I'm changing my name like this is a thing so I think it's something that like just to get people thinking about that and thinking about like the fact that that's not something that they have to do um they don't have to change their identity uh when they're married that is something just even to get you thinking about so in terms of you changing your name what kind of challenges did you face logistically uh just completely logistically with changing your name in various countries because you kind of had to do it um, in the U.S. and uh, in Japan. So kind of where was it easier? Where was it tougher?
1: So we got married in the U.S. and uh, I remember we got married one day and then the next day we went to the city hall and turned in our paperwork. And Mm -hmm. so my birth name is Matsuo and my wife's name is Post. And we decided to combine our last names uh, to Matsuo Post. And uh, that's what we um, submitted. And they just signed on the spot. And then like, okay, well, here's your new new name. Good luck. And that was it. So it was Mm -hmm. so easy. The process was so easy in the US. And uh, after our honeymoon, we actually were moving to Japan from Hong Kong, and uh, which is my home country. And I wanted to do the same thing. So I went to the city hall and told uh, the worker there that I I was going to change my name. And he was like, oh, no, you can't do that. You know, in Japan, you you can't combine names or um, have different names as uh, uh, married couples. So it's actually um, by law, married couples in Japan have to have the same last name. So what happened, what ends up happening most of the time, 94% of the time is the wife ends up taking the husband's name, you know, go, kind of going back to my earlier point, I was one of few uh, men in Japan to take uh, their spouse's name to begin with. And I wanted to quote unquote, combine uh, my name with my wife's name. Um, so that was uh, logistically was challenging, but I, wasn't going to give up. So I was like, Hey, what can I, what can I do? I really wanted to do this because I already did it in the U S so I'm going to do it in Japan Mm -hmm. too. And then the man at the city hall suggested me to go to Uh, the family court and I went to the family court uh, and talked to the judge to plead my case. Like, Hey, what can I do? I need your approval (laughs) for this. And, uh, you know, I was thinking, isn't family court uh, for divorces? Like we just get married then why do we have to be at the family court? Uh, But the judge told me that uh, since my wife already changed her name in the U.S. and why don't you just take her name? Her new name. So that's what I ended up doing, actually. So it took me about eight months uh, for for the whole process to go through to officially change my name. Uh, Mainly because I was working full time and I couldn't really find the time to go to the family uh, family court and the city hall many times. Mm -hmm. Uh, For sure. Yeah. So that's that's what happened. And also, you know, after that too. You know, this is something that. You know, millions of women and some men as well have experienced in the past all over the world, Um, but changing your name um, after marriage is very time consuming. You know, you have to change your passport, like every form of ID you can think of, credit cards, your mileage cards, and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. you know, that was uh, the second part that really got me thinking, man. Like, how come no one really talks about this? Like, how time, time consuming this is.
0: Yeah. And that's when. No kidding. That's
1: when it, when it really hit me. Like, wow. <sighs> you know, as a man, I never thought about this because I had assumed that I didn't have to do this. Like my spouse was going to take my name. So I didn't have to deal with this, but you know, it's uh, it's a lot of work and I just didn't feel like it's right for society, a culture to expect just one sex to go through this process mm-hmm. uh, only because they're born a certain way.
0: For sure. Yeah. And I, I know this is something as like a 22 year old, this isn't something that's at the top of my mind, but some of my friends, like um, I guess it depends when your like whole ID situation renews, but a lot of my friends were going to get their passport renewed. And in Canada, you can choose, you can choose to do it five years or 10 years at a time. Um, and it costs obviously more and all that. So, and they were like, well, I don't know, I, I guess I'll just get the five-year one because I'm going to probably change my name in whatever, by the time 10 years passes. And I'm like, like, I just didn't even think of that. So it's funny that you say that because, uh, this is something that like five, 10 years before, I guess some people are thinking about, um, logistically and, uh, and have to kind of keep that at the front of their mind for years before. And I'm, I'm sure years after as well. So, uh, yeah, it is a logistical issue. Um, but, Moving kind of into the like social realm, what are some of the challenges you've faced socially with changing your name um, in terms of like kind of raised eyebrows?
1: (laughs) Oh yeah, a ton of of those. And, you know, luckily my parents, both of our parents were very open-minded and understanding. Mm -hmm. And uh, especially my parents, because they're they're very Japanese. Uh, They never um, lived, um, outside of Japan. Uh, but they had very open mind about, you know, the choice for my choice to, to marry someone that's not Japanese. And also my, Mm -hmm. for for me to change my last name. Um, I think we had been talking about it for some time. So it, you know, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous to talk to my mom and dad. Um, but it was more like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna share what I'm going to do with my, Name, um, but it wasn't a surprise because we had been, mm-hmm. you know, having those conversations uh, prior to that. So that that was one um, thing that made it easier. Um, I mm-hmm. think people around me uh, definitely understood what I why I wanted to do it and kind of going back to your point about your how, how you like your last name you know how that sounds like I mm-hmm. I liked my name and she really liked hers and I like hers too so like okay that's a really cool name combined so why not <laughs> um mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and if you ask me like you know if uh, if the names were different would I have done the same thing I can't I can't say yes for sure it, I think it's case by case and it should be Mm-hmm. Um, just because I, I wrote about me changing my name doesn't necessarily mean I think every man should change their name. It's not, it's not about that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's about choice. You know, I think every person has a cho- choice to change their name or not, um, take their spouse's mm-hmm. name or not. And I think as long as you know, the why behind it, uh, that's something that, that, that's the, that's an important part. Um,
0: yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: But yeah, I, I think I got some questions like why why are you doing it like what makes you want to do it and then well why not you know we wanted to just uh mm-hmm. um keep both of our names and we wanted our children to have uh the same last name as well so that's that's what we did and, uh, and most people understood why uh we decided to do it so very uh, grateful to have a supportive circle um who um who are understanding of our decisions.
0: Yeah. And always the people that surround you are like a reflection of yourself. So I guess it's not surprising that the people around you um kind of understood that but I guess now that you have your book out I'm sure well, I hope not, sincerely, but like, I'm sure there's going to be people with with oppositional ideas, I, I should put it, um, on your decision. So, so hopefully that is fine and, and they can kind of voice their opinions respectfully. But you kind of talk about this idea uh, midway through the book about the mask of masculinity, and this is something I've learned about, um, and it's something we kind of all inherently kind of know, but don't understand. And one of my profs kind of put it, it's like the water that the fish swims in. Like we, we know that we're, we know that there's like this mask, but we don't know at the same time and we don't kind of recognize it. So can you kind of define this concept of the mask of masculinity?
1: Yeah. So these are the masks that we put on and I, You know, for Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about focus on men for this. So gender expectations (laughs) that your culture has. Um, So a lot of the times for men, like don't cry. You're not supposed to show any type of emotions except for anger and aggression. You're supposed to get the girl, um, chase the girls. You know, um, you're supposed to be athletic and you're supposed to be financially well off and you're supposed to be successful in your career and all these things, right? Uh, we call, also mm-hmm. some people call it the man box, you know, you, to be a man mm-hmm. that's respected and likable in your society. These are the traits that you need to have. And, and I'm not saying those are bad traits, those are great traits but it doesn't have to be a man to have those traits. Like obviously a girl, girls and women can have those traits and it's, it's totally fine for men to have quote unquote, stereotypically feminine traits like uh, empathy and, you know, showing emotions, right. Uh, Mm -hmm. Being good listeners or whatever that might be. And I just don't think, I think a lot of men, including myself, um, Put up, you know, those masks so that we're more accepted, more respected by the society, by the culture we live in. But deep, some sometimes we feel the, um, we feel conflicted, um, even though you know we are feeling a certain way. We're feeling these emotions, and we want to express them in uh, in the productive way. Uh, we are afraid to do it because we fear people will judge us. We fear that mm-hmm. you know people will think we're less than because we're not living in the, um, the men box that society kind of expects us to do. So that's what I mean by wearing a mask of masculinity.
0: Mm-hmm. So I think that's important to realize, but I think, um, for a lot of men and obviously I'm not a man, so I can't speak fully to this, but from my understanding of it is that, Men kind of, like, know that or maybe they understand that, but, like, they don't really know, like, what to do about it. Like, they, they don't know, like, how to not be that way or kind of change their outlook or their mindset. So what are some things or, like, action items that could maybe ha- help men have a better understanding of gender inequality or or these masks that they wear on a a more regular basis, I guess.
1: Yeah. I I would start out with listing out the gender norms that you see around you, like every day, like what kind of gender norms that you go through. And there are so many things, um, you can think of and, you know, kind of ask yourself why they exist. So for example, um, if you're so, we, we just welcomed uh, our first child, uh, a son, uh, a couple months ago. Oh, congratulations! Thank you. And uh, when you have a boy, the first, the color that comes to my uh, comes to your, most people's mind is blue, right? So, like, why is it mm-hmm. why why is it blue for uh, boys and pink for girls? And I I still haven't really figured out, out the answer. <laughs> I, I think I find it very interesting, but you know, kind of asking those questions, like, why do these uh, gender norms exist and how do I feel about them? And if you like those answers, that's fine. I'm not saying you you need to change them. But if you're not, just, okay, then so what can you do about it? And that's what I did. I didn't like some of the gender norms that I was going through that I had in my life. Like being stoic, not being able to show emotions. I'm still struggling uh, with that because I've, mm-hmm. for a very long time, I, I've suppressed my emotions completely. And I... Um, it came to a point where I didn't even feel my feelings. Um, Mm -hmm. So I had a hard time connecting with my true self and also also other people uh, with empathy. And uh, I didn't like that about myself. Um, And I started to slowly open up more and talk to other, you know, close friends and uh, family members about that. And that really freed me. So, you know, the second thing that you can do is to talk about, talk about your feelings, like what you, what you go through, you share your struggles, especially with uh, the men in your life, uh, if you're a man. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, that's, that was very scary for me in the beginning, but it's, uh, I've gotten a lot more comfortable the the more I practice and it's just, uh, yeah, it's very therapeutic. It's, it's something that (laughs) I really enjoy doing. And, um, Mm -hmm. and I'm, I feel very grateful for it my close friends who are open to having those conversations, actually. So I think more men, yeah. um, I encourage more men to do that because it's, uh, it's very good for your soul and also your mental health. Um, yeah, so I think those two things are um, quick things that men can do to um, kind of take off the mask of masculinity or being close closer okay. to your true self.
0: Yeah, I think that's so interesting. And listening to you say that, um, it's funny because as a woman, I'm like, oh my god, I love that talking about your feelings. Yep, sign me up. But for men, like that's so that's very challenging, and that's something that you know you're not used to as a man. So, so I think that's funny. I'm like, oh, of course. Like let's talk about our feelings. Like you know, have a good cry or whatever it may be. And uh, and I forget sometimes, and I think that's my own doing too. I forget sometimes that for men, that's not as accessible in their psyche or whatever it may be to kind of access these feelings and to to put them on display for other people. Why did you think a book would be the best way to share your story? Uh, And what do you think like the benefits of this book are?
1: That's a great question. Uh, (laughs) So I wrote this book for two reasons. So one, um, obviously to share my message in the, in the written form, um, as hopefully, you know, even people that I don't even know, um, out there in the world. And that's, that's my hope. And I I truly hope that, you know, young men and boys reading this, um, will kind of learn from, or like get something out of it. Um, because there are the, the, the next generation, the men uh, in the next generation, the men of the future. So mm-hmm. that was a big reason. And uh, the second reason is, so I studied journalism and I've, I love to write. And even though English is my second language, I've, um, you know, I studied writing in English and, uh, and English is, uh, it's the most commonly used language in the world. So at least one mm-hmm. of them, um, if not the, the most. Um, so I wanted to know it's a way to to spread the message as widely as possible um and also i wanted to leave a legacy for my children and their future children and so on uh, because i had my maternal grandparents passed away when i was uh, less than one and i actually don't have any memories of them um and my mom you know, it still tells me like, oh, your grandpa was, you know, this kind of person, your grandma was this kind of person. So I have like some sort of an idea of what kind of people they were. Um, mm-hmm. But there was no documents or anything like that to learn about them. Um, so I wish I kind of, they wrote a book or something or they wrote, you know, something so that I could learn <laughs> about them. Um, so that's kind of like my way of leaving a legacy for my, my kids and their kids. So that they could know what kind of a person or um, I was when I was this age in 2020 um, and what I stood for. And hopefully, you know, they're going to laugh at some of these remarks uh, that I made in this book <laughs> um, because the world is so much more equal. Um, in the future. So that's my hope.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a great, like twofold um, for a purpose. So that's awesome. But for those of us who haven't or may never publish a book, what is the process of kind of taking your story from its ideation uh, to the final copy that now you can buy online type of thing?
1: Yeah. So I self-published this book and I, oh, I wow. had uh, support from, I actually hired a publishing company um, I can share it's called scribe media. Um, oh, yeah. Cool. And uh, they've done a phenomenal job. Um, ev- everything from editing to the book cover design to interior cover, uh, interior design and publishing, um, because you can learn all this stuff from online, you know, and you can hire, you know, uh, editors and individual editors and designers and all that stuff. But it's, um, mm. it's super nice to, have like a publisher like a one team who knows exactly what to do from uh, from the beginning to an end so it was a very mm-hmm. awesome uh process i'm like promoting <laughs> promoting the brand <laughs> um, but like on the serious <laughs> note though like i all i basically i do you know i i wrote uh started writing this about three years ago and I did so many rounds of edits. I asked clo- some some of my closest friends to read uh, my early drafts and I made my own edits and then kind of passed it off, off to uh, the publisher. And then they really fine tuned everything to publish the book. So um, it's durable. You don't have to have a traditional publisher mm-hmm. to publish your book. It's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, some people actually do it from all by themselves, which I have massive respect for. Um, you could do mm-hmm. it that way, or you could, um, you you could work with a publisher like I did and publish a book. So there are so many different ways to um, get your message out there as a book.
0: Yeah, that's awesome and I think that's so um, res- like re- really resembles your your story just like there's so many different ways to do things and and this is the one that you chose. So I think that's really cool. Um, so I guess what are your next steps like now that you've accomplished like you've published your first book, that's such a big milestone. What are your kind of next steps with this?
1: Yeah, so I've, I've gotten some requests to speak at uh, some schools in Japan. Um, so oh. I, I actually gave a couple of um, at international schools in Tokyo uh, or Greater Tokyo. And uh, I actually have another uh, speak uh, speech with a uh, university in Tokyo. And uh, like I said earlier, I really want to um, share this message, especially with the uh, younger generations, the younger men, um, and boys, uh, in Japan, but also outside of Japan. Um, so, you know, I, I want to do more of those because that's, uh, that's where my passion lies and, and hopefully I can do more of those, but, um, you know, I, I have a full-time job that's not completely related to just gender equality, but also I want to promote, you know, this, uh, gender equality, promoting diversity and inclusion at workplace as well. obviously at my you know at my workplace, um, but also how I can kind of spread this idea um, outside of my organization as well. So don't have mm-hmm. uh, super clear next steps per se. Um, <laughs> but yeah, any mm-hmm. any way I can share. Um, and help, you know, people and organizations, I'm, uh, I'd, I'd love to um, get involved.
0: Yeah, that's so important because the workplace is actually such a catalyst for, you know, gender inequality, not just like pay gap and stuff like that, but like workplace harassment, stuff like that. So I think that's, that's a great idea, mm-hmm. um, kind of bringing these ideas into the workplace, because I think people underestimate... The inequalities that kind of lie in those spaces mm-hmm. so that is great um so i guess to wrap things up i always do a round of rapid fire questions just more about yourself so i hope these aren't like too superficial after we what we've talked about um but uh yeah we'll get right into it whenever you're ready
1: okay let's do it
0: awesome okay so if you could hang or um right now quarantine with any five people who would
1: it be Oh my gosh. I should have, I should have prepared for this. I, I knew this was coming.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you knew it was coming. <laughs> and it could be like famous people or just like friends. Um, I always pick famous people when I do this one, but it could be anyone.
1: Oh man. Uh, f- five people. That's a lot, huh?
0: Mm-hmm. Is
1: this at the same time, like in uh, like a s- same dinner table or like separately?
0: Yeah. Like dinner, dinner table type of thing.
1: Oh man. Um, I'm gonna say the Obamas for two, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe their girls as well. So, but if especially the uh, uh, Barack and Michelle Obamas, um, mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of. I read this book called Untamed um, this mm-hmm. this year. Yes, Glenn Glennon Doyle, Boyle, uh, huge fan. <laughs> She's she so really good. inspired uh, me in my writing. Uh, I'd love to meet with her have a have a chat as well. Mm-hmm uh who else and also dead dead or alive right like dead people okay
0: Mm -hmm. yeah of course yeah
1: oh man i so that's that's three
0: i feel like emma watson would be a good one
1: yes emma watson good one thank you
0: you're welcome
1: (laughs) and i I actually talked about this in my book as well. I'm a huge fan of uh, Justin Baldoni. He uh, he gave okay. a TED Talk about being a man, actually. So we share very similar thinking, I guess. Um, and his TED Talk really inspired me to finish this book as well, so. <laughs>
0: oh that's a good five okay solving the world's problems um so okay next question I feel like you're really busy with like a new child and your book and all that but if you have time um what show are you watching right now or binging
1: so we just finished um um queen's gambit Yeah. Oh, I knew you were
0: going to say that. And it's It's so so, good. It
1: was so good. And we just started playing chess like every day.
0: (laughs) I wish I knew how to play. That's something I don't know anything about. So it was kind of hard to watch the show, but um, that's awesome. No, it was so good. That was one of my favorite shows. Um, Okay. What, considering you're now an author, um, what is your favorite book that you've kind of recently read, whether that be over the quarantine or like in the last year, let's say.
1: Yeah, like I mentioned earlier, Untamed by and Doyle. Untamed, yeah. okay. Yeah, I, f- I, haven't,
0: I haven't read that one, but it's on my list. Um, actually, it's on my list to finish before the end of the year. So uh, hopefully in the next few weeks, I can get that done. Uh, and your last question for you, uh, what has been your fault? Fo- Favorite positive outcome of the quarantine amidst all of the negativity? What's your favorite, like, good thing that happened to you?
1: Yeah, so... I just saw the the most recent uh, Time magazine, and then the the headline mm-hmm. said "2020," and then there was a cross for "2020, the worst year ever," and I was like, "Oh man, that makes me kind of sad because, you know, to me, 2020 was a great year. We just welcomed our son mm-hmm. first uh, first child, and uh, and uh, for for me, I published my book as well. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah." a few great things came out of, uh, quarantine. A quarantine made me really focus on writing this as well. Um, and yeah. spending time with family, um, mm-hmm. you know, that, uh, we love to travel. So any chance we get, like we used to travel, um, uh, but now this year we're spending, um, more time with family. Um, uh, my, wife is family. I'm actually in the States um, right now. Okay. Um, so yeah, just getting to know my wife is family during uh, my paternity leave and quarantining. So...
0: Yeah, of course. Um, Those are all great answers Um, and obviously great things for 2020 for you. So yeah, that's awesome. I feel like those aren't the average like run of the mill things that happen. So uh, those are two very big things. So congratulations on both of those. Thank you. Um, You're welcome. It's been so great to talk to you. um, And I really encourage everyone to pick up Choose book. Uh, And it's obviously, as we mentioned, it's on Amazon. It's called I Took Her Name. Uh, I will post a link to it because I strongly encourage you to pick it up, whether it be for yourself or, uh, you know, a man in your life. Uh, I think that's important too. So yeah, thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure.
0: I'm Alia Ballas, and you have been listening to Can't Hang. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you loved today's show, please subscribe and don't forget to leave a rating and a review. Visit canhang.simplecast.com to check out all the incredible people I've interviewed and who's coming soon. Much love goes out to all those who have been posting about Can't Hang on social please tag me in your posts at can't hang pod, and please continue to send me suggestions of who you'd love to see in future episodes. I have an incredible lineup, but I'm always looking for people outside my bubble. Please tune in next Thursday and hang with me and my next guest. This show is produced by me, Alia Ballas and the music was created by Kwan.